Turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We live in an unseen world. This is our third week talking about this. It is a daily experience. We live in an unseen world. Hebrews 11.33 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So everything we see came from the invisible, not the visible. We're trying to search out the meaning of the universe and what our origin is and where it comes from. It didn't actually come from nothing. It just came from that which is invisible. It came from God speaking, God's word. He spoke it. It happened. That's still true today, by the way. Things that are eternal happen because God has spoken it and because we have spoken what he is speaking. That's how eternal things happen. So in our life, uh, we learn to walk in faith that way, that we speak it, but we speak what we're hearing, what we're hearing. And we learn to speak it because that's where the invisible world trumps the visible. It literally takes charge of the visible. And I've used the illustration of Peter standing on the boat. Lord, if that's you out there, call me to come out. He didn't just run out on the water by faith. He waited till Jesus said one word, come. When Jesus spoke, Peter stepped, and the elements of the universe had no choice but to align with the same voice that had created that element in the first place. See? When Jesus spoke, and, and as we said, the you know, scientists came down to the atom, then when that they learned they could split that, they found... Protons, electrons, neutrons. Then they got to the uh, the quark, which is the next element down. Now they're talking about a pentaquark, whatever that is. Uh, that's just come out this week. They probably heard my message and thought, let's you know take this a little further. And so they've, but still inside the quark is nothing. There's a There's an emptiness there, and, you know, that's hard to figure out. Why is there, maybe we don't have a strong enough instrument. I'm going to tell you, eventually you're going to get down to empty space because this world came from the unseen. It was God's word. And in in that conceptually, inside of that quark, I always want to say quirk, inside of that quark, conceptually, it's God's word. That's holding it together. Okay? And so when God speaks, everything gets in a line with his voice. It was created 
by the essence of his voice in the first place. So really, when you look around, you see the visible, but, but it all came from the invisible. The invisible is more real, really, if you will. Our relationships are that way. You're looking at a body. This, this body will someday be over with, and, but Craig won't be. Craig is a soul, and that soul is not visible, but it will live forever. And so we, we actually relate to one another in the invisible, because we're not really relating body to body. I mean, sometimes I have to get over some of you men who are just plain ugly. You know, I have to get over that. Notice I didn't keep the ladies in that conversation. You know, sometimes the physical is, I mean, we, we're impacted by the physical, but truly, I can have like a set of twins, and one can be, you know, have one disposition of personality, the other one can have another disposition, and, you know, I may want to relate to this more than that, because it's, it's not about the body, it's about, it's about the person on the inside, who they are, and that's, that's who you're relating to, that's who you're getting to know. And so, we relate to one another in the invisible. It's the unseen. The unseen is where it's at. The unseen is the real world that we do not see. And now we come to the spiritual realm and God working, God present, God involved, and our participation and partnership and oneness in that and and what all that really looks like because you can't see it. And so what I've been doing the last few weeks is just bringing attention to this and I Started with the story of Jehoshaphat, and, you know, they were in trouble. Four armies coming at them, but what did they do? They fell on their face and prayed. What, what good would that do, right? They worshipped. Then they worshipped again. God spoke to them. They worshipped again. And then he said, go out and fight, but don't fight. Worship. And when they went out against the enemy, and it says, as they began to sing, the Lord set an ambush against these four huge armies. He didn't say what that ambush was. I mean, there are things like that in the Bible. You go, explain what that was. What was that? It didn't even say angels. We just assume that, that the angels were involved. But but it just says the Lord set an ambush and the armies turned on each other. They killed each other. And when when the Israelites got to the edge of the, looked over into the valley, everybody was dead. See, there was nothing about the visible world that conducted that battle and that victory. It was all about the invisible world and the ability of God's people to connect in the invisible, in the unseen, which is our relationship by the Holy Spirit, listening, worship, 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 worship. The next story I gave you was Joshua coming into the promised land, and the promised land is that new dimension. They'd been in the wilderness for 40 years, and They were about to come into the promised land and live in a completely different manner. They were receiving manna from heaven. Now they're going to eat from the fruit of the land. And you might think, well, that's normal. Well, actually, they didn't plant any of that. That whole season of conquering, they they really just ate off the fruit of what somebody else had planted. You know, God provided. Um, They went to Jericho, and they didn't engage in battle in Jericho the normal way. In fact... Um, uh, after that, they battled Ai, and they didn't approach it the same way, and they were defeated. 
See, in Jericho, though, they sought the Lord. They heard, I mean, Joshua actually had an encounter with the invisible Christ. I'm talking Jesus here. He had a, a visible encounter with the invisible. And he heard the captain speak, you know. And then they circled Jericho like crazy people, you know. One day and then another day and on the seventh day seven times. And, and you remember my message was um, last week was shut up and worship because, because that's what they did. He told them don't say a word for six days. They didn't talk. That's what it says. You go back and read it. I mean, maybe they talked when they got back at night, but it doesn't say that. It says they didn't speak until the seventh day. And so they, they, on that day, they circled, and then they shouted. And the, the word there is, don't talk yourself out of the unseen. Don't, don't talk yourself down from the place of faith and engagement with the unseen. That God actually calls us to a place, really, to shut up and worship. See, once we open our mouth, we're in danger of talking it down and getting out of, and the atmosphere changes. So this is really a discipline on our part, especially for people like me. You know, I'm the personality that God said, make that one talk a lot. Okay, except then, you know, then give him a wife and five kids who will help him keep it at bay. Okay, so, because I'm, I just talk too much, all right? And don't you dare say a word while I'm preaching. Don't you dare say a word while I'm preaching. But see, God actually wants us to learn to be quiet and listen and not, not confront, not to, uh, not to pop the bubble of his presence, see? Learn to speak correctly. It's a discipline for us. And then, so that was Joshua and how they worshiped. That whole Jericho thing was about worship. And they gave the shout and the walls came down. Today, I'm going to bring us to one more story. And I think maybe we should jump into the New Testament and let's watch Jesus navigate through the unseen, right? He's the best example there is, and this is a powerful story, and I, I've got to say to you that this is the scripture that I used um, at the memorial service on Friday, and, um, but I, I didn't get to really, and I'm not going to do the same thing I was going to do Friday totally. I, I kept it a little bit short Friday because, listen, what an incredible service, and there were there was a lot that happened in the service. It was getting long, but the thing that made me be very aware of the time was that um, this we had the capacity seating. We added chairs. Our capacity seating in here is 297, and we had 295 chairs, and every single chair was taken. And then there were, I don't know, I'm, I would evangelistically say 200, but let's say another 150 people were around the walls. And thank the Lord the fire marshal wasn't here. So, uh, but uh, there, were, there were cars all the way to the street, all on the grass. They were all over the place. And uh, there was quite, quite the, not only support, but I think uh, from my 
from my view, it was the seeds planted of love that comes out of this family and out of Christian's life. He loved extravagantly, and, um, and, and a little bit of that came back um, on Friday. What, a, what an incredible time. But this scripture is uh, a powerful word. Let's, let's look at it together. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. You know, this is the Mary who you find in the scripture at his feet at least three times. There are four occurrences. They're not sure if the fourth one is another Mary or not. There are at least three occurrences of her with putting the fragrant oil wiped on his feet. There's the moment when Jesus is in their home and Martha's working busily, you know, getting the meal ready, and Mary is at Jesus' feet. Same Mary. And then in this story, you're going to see that she comes and falls at his feet. In the unseen world, it's all about being at Jesus' feet. It's all about being at Jesus' feet. It's what I said the other week. When you come, when you walk into the unseen, and if you don't know how to get there, try worship. You walk in, when you walk into the unseen, all eyes on Jesus. You don't go into the unseen world and, and just, I mean, God may show you a vision or reveal something to you, but he's not going to open your eyes so that you see everything that's in the unseen. When you come into the unseen like you ought to do in the scene, because that's where, you know, it's not like we leave here, but when you come into the unseen, all eyes are on Jesus. He's the king. He's the king. You're not going to walk into the unseen and open your eyes and be afraid. You're going to walk into the unseen, open your eyes, and see who's on the throne. See? So, so the, 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 the way to the unseen is at his feet. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but in the unseen, the main thing is the purpose of God. In the unseen, the main thing is God's purpose. He is orchestrating purpose. He has purpose. He has a focus. He is obsessive about it, if I can use that word. He is actually so focused that if you don't learn how to be focused with what he's focused on, you're never going to really know God. Because God is, uh, you know, he's contained in his purpose. And, you know, there's some people that you feel like I can never get close to them because they're always so distant. They're focused on something. They're too, you might say they're too busy, but it might be, they're just such focused people that if you're going to be a part of their life, you're going to have to be a part of what they're a part of. And that's the way Jesus is. It's the way God is. He is into something. 
And he's on it. He's on it 24-7. So there has to be a sense of focus. There has to be a, a, a focus on his purpose. And so in the unseen, the main thing is the purpose of God. There's a scripture, Ephesians 1.11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined, don't, don't get thrown by the word predestined. That's always a big discussion. If you need to, use the base word destined to understand this verse. Being destined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the counsel of what he wants. God has a purpose, and he's moving toward what he wants. And so that's what he's doing. And he's taking everything that's happening, good, bad, ugly, stuff he had nothing to do with, things he did not initiate, he takes. Things that come out of the blue. Now, that's not really out of the blue for him because he knew it was coming. But he takes everything, good, bad, and ugly, and he works it toward the counsel of his will. It's what he's doing. It's all about purpose in the unseen. God is orchestrating. He, and we are destined according to the purpose of him who works all things. All, somebody say all things. All things according to the counsel of his will. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, let's talk about, we've got to deal with this word love because this is not, this doesn't show up often in the Gospels. It really only shows up in this, uh, this Gospel. And the only other time it's mentioned that Jesus actually loved somebody in a personal, person-to-person way, you know, in the skin love, not just Jesus loves the whole world. But the fact, and, and he is intimate with all of us, but when he was on earth, like us, he had relationships that were distant, relationships that were closer, and then he had relationships that were really close. And it's obvious that, like all of us, he could only have a few very close relationships. Even among his disciples, there were three that hung with him most of the time. And so you, you have to, the, the 12 were there, but there were three who were always called to a closer place because you literally... In the skin, even if you're Jesus, you can only relate to so many people at once. And you can only give yourself uh, in, in a, to a measure that you have a close relationship with someone. There are only two people, and I know he loved Peter and James, but there are only two people that it actually says whom he loved. And one is John, the one who's writing this, the one whom Jesus loved, it says. And by the way, John wrote that. Can't you see yourself writing the gospel and going, and then Jesus was talking to the one whom Jesus loved. That was me. Because he wrote it. He wrote it. But everybody referred to that, that he was the one whom Jesus loved. And here, John knew. He knew what this was. He knew what that relationship was. Lazarus, Jesus was really close to Lazarus. Now, he was not with him all the time. We don't have the sense here that they traveled with him. But he was very close to Lazarus. They were very, they were locked in. This was love. This wasn't just, hey, I'm supporting your ministry. Come have dinner with us. This is, this is very close. There's love happening here. And it doesn't just say they loved him. It says he loved them. It's powerful, powerful. You know, this is, 
This is what life is made of, right? And then it says this. These verses don't make sense here. Verse 5 and 6. Now, let me read it. I'm not going to change the words. Just listen to the inflection of my voice. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was sense. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you this. He didn't make a good pastor. He stayed. These weren't just acquaintances. These weren't just somebody in the crowd. These were people he loved. And he didn't go. He didn't go to them in their time of need. That's hard to understand. I mean, you see the end of the story, okay. But put yourself in their shoes. This hurts. Let me say something else. In the unseen, love must be understood at a deeper level. Here's here's one of our problems. We interpret love based on our need. Now, how many of you have read or you kind of understand the love language thing? Raise your hand. I want to see your hand. Okay, there's quite a few. And I would encourage you, go read the book, The Love Language. I mean, it's, it's a powerful thing. Each of us have particular needs that we go, wow, that person really loves me because they did that for me, okay? It's a love language, all right? And so if you know somebody's love language, then you do that for them because that'll show them that you really love them. Here's the problem with that, and I'm, I'm not against it, but now listen, here's the problem with that, is that you're gonna, we tend to interpret people's actions toward us based on whether they are meeting my love language or not, see? And if they're not meeting my love language, well, they, they must not care about me. If your love language is time spent together and you're really wondering if that person over there cares for you and they don't give you the time of day and you start, that person really doesn't like me. And don't tell me that doesn't happen. It happens all the time. I've got friends that I'm really close to that we don't see each other for months, sometimes a couple of years. But boy, when we're together, there's no offense. Nobody says, why didn't you call me? There's a freedom because there's real love there. You know, I'm a pastor, so I know these things because I see relationships. And, and, and so pastors kind of do their own little study, you know, of this. And this is really true in our lives. And I want to I challenge you a little bit here because it will affect the way you think about God. God's not meeting my love language, then he must not care for me. And so we, we've got to be careful there. You know, we need to take a step back. When somebody comes, I have my antennas up now, because when somebody comes to me and the, and the guilt begins to, it's like, you, you don't really care. You, you can feel that thing happening. You know, you, and so when that begins to happen, my antennas go up, and I'll tell you why. And this is, I'm not thinking about anybody, okay? Just, it's, and, but I know it's true in all of our families. It's true with all of us. Occasionally, I probably do it myself, all right? But, 
the, but my antennas are up because what's happening there is manipulation. That's what that is. That's manipulation to get you to love me. See? And that's not really love, is it? Love is a voluntary thing. True love. We can forcefully love, but real love is something that we give because we want to. And so don't let that happen. You know, manipulation, well, I'm going to use a hard word here, okay? In the Old Testament, that thing is equal to witchcraft. You, you don't want to go anywhere in that place where you are demanding love from other people because that, that's not love. You're not going to get what you're looking for anyway. You're going to get a support system that will not stay supporting because nobody can keep up the demand. All right, so in the unseen, love must be understood on a deeper level. And Jesus is, is operating by the Spirit, God's voice, and easily misunderstood about what he's doing. And so it says, um, verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. You're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one who walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Two decisions in a row that just don't make sense. My friend is sick, so I'm going to stay where I am two days. Let's go to Judea. Hey, wait, Lord, they're going to kill you there. Yeah, I know. Let's, let's go to Judea. You know, there's two decisions here. That, and this is, the, this is the unseen. In the unseen, we learn to walk by the light. We have to walk by the light. In, in the light of the unseen, the light pierces the darkness, will cause you to go against the grain, okay, of normality. And the light of God and walking in the light actually brings you to a different way of thinking and listening and obedience. And that's, that's why we're doing the series, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about live in the unseen. Learn to live by the light. And look, when there's light, there's 12 hours, so do it. Follow. Don't wait, because the 12 hours are going to be done at some point. So you, you need to walk in this thing. And, and so there's going to come a time when all of this is going to be over, and you'll have missed the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to walk. You'll walk in the light for eternity. I'm not saying there'll be a stopping of your walking in the light. But we are in a, an era of the light where opportunity is really important. So we have to hear God's voice and obey. Okay? These things he said after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples says, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them, Plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, a couple of things. One is there's a different language in the unseen. Jesus says, he's not dead, he's asleep. Okay, you, you understand the words, he is dead, so I'll say that. But over and over, in fact, later he says, he's not dead, he's alive, and you don't die. Jesus even says, I'm going to show you, 
he says you don't die when when you when you uh, have the resurrection and the life you don't you'll never die and so so that word death is misunderstood when you when you're in the when you walk when you're a part of the unseen the the kingdom of light that part of the unseen when you walk when you're there you're already there you understand so there's a wall right there and so in this realm here i can see the seen but i can't see the unseen but once i get on the other side of that wall i'm in the unseen like you know when i pass from this life to the next i'm going to walk into a realm where i might, i'm going to see clearly i'm going to see the lord i'm going to be in his presence okay so I don't, that realm over there is not future. Hear me? That realm is present. And it doesn't stop at the wall. It comes in here and goes to that wall. Now, the other side of that wall is darkness. You don't want to go over there. So, but from there, and darkness is in here too, by the way. See, in, in, the, in the world we live in, there's light and darkness. But the light doesn't stop there. And so... So what we find here, you know, at the end of this story, Lazarus is raised from the dead. He walks from that side of the wall back into this side of the wall. See, to just know that there's, that wall is there, but, but the realm is current. And so here, we're, we're discovering there's even a different language that's being spoken. Learn to hear it. Learn that it's different, this this light we live in, we live in eternity now. Jesus said that. He said eternity is God present in you. you. That's eternal life. Eternal life is the presence of God in you. You're already in eternity, so you learn that this, there's a different way to listen. There's a, different, there's a different way to look and see. There's also a different language. Learn the language of the unseen. He's asleep. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's asleep. And then... And then he, uh, then he gives us this. And this, is, this has happened now in a few verses before I told you about the purpose of God. Here he actually gives purpose for the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. So he says, I'm glad. He says, I'm, he says Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes because you're, I want you to believe with what's about to happen. Of course, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. But I want, I want to make something clear here. It's really important because Jesus loved them. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead because he loved Lazarus more than he loved somebody else. In fact, he didn't raise Lazarus from the dead because Lazarus wanted to be raised from the dead. I'm telling you, if you've been four days in the presence of God, I'm sure Lazarus came back and said, okay, Lord, I know you have purpose in this, but why did I have to leave? Okay? I mean, do you understand that the raising of Lazarus from the dead was not the ultimate thing. It wasn't. There was, he actually did that for a reason, a purpose. That's why he stayed two days and waited. That's why he came after he had gone. And so he comes and he's, he's basically saying to the guys, hey, there's, something's about to happen. You're not going to understand it. But I'm glad for your sakes because you're, you're going to believe like you've never believed before. You're going to see something you've never seen before. And it's going to unveil What's about to happen a few days later? Do you know what that is? That's Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. That's happening within days or weeks after this event. In fact, in John 12, 9, which is just the next chapter, it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. This, this, 
This is the triumphal entry, and we have thousands upon thousands of people gathering, and you know, they eventually they're worshiping and etc. They did not all come to see Jesus. See, here's what it says. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. Who there? And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. See that? There was, a, there was such greater purpose in the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. And, you know, I felt this more this week. You know, I, I do, I walk into a lot of families' lives where someone has passed. And it's always a real sweet, precious thing when you're older than me. Because it's like, well, they lived a good life. You know, they had a long life. And people are grieving, but it's not that. You, you understand? Can I say that without offending anybody? <laughs> now, when I die, I want you to grieve really hard. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I want you to shout and dance. I want you to just take off and worship and offend everybody around you and create such a stir it'll be on the front page of the newspaper. That's, that's what I want you to do. Okay. So, but, but when somebody goes to heaven too early, that hurts. And I agree it's not fair. And so it's a, it's a hard thing. It's in, you know, it's hard for the family, and I'm sorry, Mike, to bring that up, Debbie, but it's hard for us too. It's a hard thing. And probably we've all touched that in some place in our life. It's a hard thing, but let me tell you something. There is God delivers a purpose. No matter what, how, when, where it happened, God takes all of that. And he delivers a purpose in the midst of it that outweighs, that outweighs the rest of their life. I'll tell you, when I stood here the other day, I was, I mean, it was overwhelming. The amount of love in this room and the opportunity for people to hear the gospel. Listen, uh, Christians' friends will never forget Friday. They, some of them may have never seen Christian again just because of how our lives take off in different directions, but they'll never forget. And the seed of the Holy Spirit, see, of the Word of God, will not be void. And even now, further on, we're going to see the purpose of Christian's life continue to unfold. And there are a few people that will make sure of that. I'm sure his wife, Vieta. Then there's his son, Caleb, that has his DNA. And his father and mother who have his DNA. He has siblings, too. And they're going to make sure 
But listen, I'm standing before you today, and there are a couple of other people, uh, several other people standing up here. You just don't see them. Now, I'm not talking about a spooky thing. I'm not talking about my father being here in the... No. But you're, you're getting my father this morning. You, you're getting my grandfather. Big time, my grandfather. My grandfather also had a big mouth. And my grandfather could do something that, that I believe I have a little talent in. I do. And if I'm old enough to say these things and still be humble. I can tell a story. You know, well, where did I get? I got that from my grandfather. We wouldn't go outside and play, and he lived next to the beach. We would stay inside at his feet with our eyes wide open and him telling us stories. And about 80% of it was true. That 20%, though, was the best part. <laughs> okay. He's, he's standing right here. Not spooky way, but his purpose is still living. His purpose on the planet is still alive. Go meet his son, my uncle. It's just like having him in the room. The purpose of your life doesn't stop when you pass from this world to the your purpose continues. Live like it today. Live like it now. Live boldly and up with abandonment. Live, you know, extravagantly the way Christian lived with everything out on his sleeves. Live in a way that your purpose will continue to live on. Let's go down to um, verse 22. Now, even now, I know that, okay, this is, we better start with verse 20. Um, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went, met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. By the way, Mary comes a little later in the story, verse 32, and she says, Lord, it's a direct quote, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same words from the sisters who'd been talking to one another. Where's Jesus? Why isn't he here? If he were here, Lazarus would live. He's dying. If Jesus were here, he wouldn't die. So they're carrying this and he comes, she comes to him. And by the way, he handles it. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have said that. He handles it. He doesn't, he doesn't disregard her feelings here. And he said, she said, <laughs> um, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Listen, she had seen him raise somebody from the dead. Or had heard about it. And so she's thinking, I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to plant the seed. <laughs> okay? You know, now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said, well, and you got, this is the way I see it. She said, now, I, I, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But it's like she's saying, can you raise him now? I mean, she, she is wondering. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not an event. It's not a location. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See? That's what he's saying. Listen, this is the question that has to be posed to every person on the planet, wherever that little corner is, in a field or on a mountain or next to an ocean, throughout this world, this question has to be posed to every person. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? That you're not going to die? Do you believe it? Listen, get out from under the cloud of ISIS, please. You're not going to die. Get out from under the fears that are around us. You're not going to die. You're going to live. Death does not stand in the way. Do you understand this? So somebody kills me, I'm not going to die. And I'll not even experience the sting of death. That's right. If we can grab hold of what Jesus is saying is here, fear will dissipate. Fear will be gone. We'll not be afraid of being embarrassed. We'll not be afraid of being humbled or humiliated when we have to deal with something. We'll not be afraid of having to work through issues with people and being real and honest about it. We wouldn't be afraid of anything if we realized we're not going to die. We're going to live forever. I am. I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. And so Jesus says, do you believe this? That's the key. Got to close. Unfortunately, because this is really getting good. <laughs> it gets better down here. It'll take another week, I guess. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. That's the response that needs to come. Now, we know that what happened here was that Mary came, and she was weeping. The people around her were weeping. And the two-word verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is really interesting, and I want you to get this. He wept, even though he knew Lazarus within moments, literal moments, would be alive, taking off his grave clothes. Why did he weep? If that had been me, I'd be taking Mary and going, Mary, don't cry. He's, he's about to. No. Why? Because God in the unseen does not treat lightly what we're going through 
in the seen dimension. God in the unseen doesn't detach emotionally from where we are in the real world. And Jesus wept. And he really wept. You know, when the Bible says Jesus wept, these were his friends. And he was identifying with their pain. He wept. He felt what they were feeling. And we need to keep that perspective. Don't be the kind of person who, because you have some great truth, you kind of detach from somebody else's thing that they're going through. Jesus didn't. And last of all, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you've always, you, will always hear, you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said to them, thus said this, that they may believe that you sent me. I know you were hoping for a Thanksgiving message today. And this is it. Thanksgiving is the leverage of faith. Write that down. Think about it all week. Thanksgiving is the leverage of faith. He said, I thank you, Father, because I want them to hear because I want them to believe. When I begin to give thanks, my faith begins to rise. When I begin to give thanks, that is the entry to worship, is it not? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the entrance to the unseen. The entrance to worship. You know, I don't feel like worshiping, Lord. Just start giving thanks. That'll change. Give thanks. You don't have to give him thanks for things. Just start, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for your grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving me or forsaking me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now start thanking him for things. Let's stand together.